you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. How are ambition and serving others related? Can we end neglected diseases in the third world? How important are values and lifelong learning to success? Join us on today's episode for a peek behind the curtain of true success. When you awaken to the fact that a life well lived is really spent on others. It's spent on investing in others. You realize that the greatest joy in life is to see others flourish and others prosper. And that that starts first with your family, with your spouse, with your children. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast, where we discuss innovation, success, and the path to a good life for teens and those who guide them. We have a special treat for you today. I had an opportunity to bump into a successful executive at a business conference earlier this fall. I was so impressed by his story and the values of their company that I knew I had to find a way to bring his wisdom to our show. Mark Stolson is the CEO at Legatum, a global private investment fund based in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. In the interview, Mark and I mostly cover the amazing successes and lessons that he's learned along the way. We didn't spend much time discussing the failures and the challenges along the way, but afterward he told me this, Steve, hopefully what will come out of this is something that is inspiring and not so far out of reach for people. If we pull back the curtain a little farther, it has not been a continuous upward trajectory since elementary school with everything being a walk through fields of daisies. It's had its ups and downs. It's been a real life. He also said, the secret of success in facing a challenge or a setback is what you do with the situation. Even if hanging on and persevering is the best you can do, that's doing really, really well. Because it forms who you are and your character. Some of the greatest benefits and opportunities come out of times of challenge. I love the way Mark framed his experiences. And as you listen to this interview, remember some of the greatest success stories began in humble places. It isn't about getting it right every time. Success is about how you face what life brings. Let's listen in for timeless wisdom from a life well lived. So my guest today is Mark Stolson. Mark is the Chief Executive Officer at Legatum, and he is grateful to work in a company that embodies his own personal values and excellence, and also in helping others to prosper. He describes one of his most proud moments and proudest accomplishments as uh, being the father of his two boys, and he's also proud that he works every day with hardworking, 
people who also find themselves aligned with the Legato mission. And we'll link that up in the show notes. Uh, you should actually go read the Legato mission. It is amazing. And <laughs> just a, a funny side note, his favorite movies are Talladega Nights, Nacho Libre, and Napoleon Dynamite. And all of these movies are about underdogs and hidden greatness. So, Mark, tell us more about what you do at Legatum. Uh, thanks, Steve. And it's a real pleasure to be on the program. So, I think the first thing to understand about Legatum is it's a slightly unusual company. It's an investment company. We invest um, our capital in companies and opportunities around the world. So, we're headquartered in Dubai which is right in the middle of the Middle East. And we invest our capital from East Asia all the way to North America and everywhere in between. So our day job is sitting down in front of computer screens and looking at, at things like Bloomberg and stock tickers and finding hidden opportunities. And when we invest wisely, we can generate capital. But what makes Legatum a little bit different is that our mission is not just to generate capital, but then to allocate that capital in ways that can help others prosper. So if you kind of took the ceiling off of Legatum and looked at it, you'd find a group of investors who also spend a lot of time figuring out how can we use this money to help other people. And we've done that in a lot of different ways over the years from supporting over 2,000 different humanitarian projects in over 100 countries in everything from anti-human trafficking to education initiatives to deworming campaigns that have touched tens of millions of people. We love to invest our capital in things that are underappreciated or unknown where we can see what we call a large return on investment. What I do as CEO is get to work with a, an extremely talented group of people who spend their time investing, but also expressing their own values through all of our philanthropic efforts. So tell us a little bit about some of those amazing projects. Maybe pick one or two of them that you think are the most impactful. Sure. Well, we have one project that has really blossomed into something quite large. It's called the END Fund. That's E-N-D, the END Fund. It stands for Ending Neglected Diseases. And years and years ago, we read a newspaper article that said that 1.4 billion people still suffer from intestinal worms. Now, there are about seven different diseases that worms cause. You don't find them in America. You don't find them in Europe because they've been eradicated a long time ago. The reason why they've been eradicated is the, the drugs, the pharmaceuticals, the medicine that you use is free. The patents ran out a long time ago, so drug companies will give you the, the medicine just because they're not used in sort of the Western world. We looked at that and thought, if you can have free medicine, there are 1.4 billion people that suffer from these diseases. All we really need to do is figure out logistically how to get the medicine to the people. So we started a pilot project about eight or nine years ago in two countries in Africa called Rwanda, and the other is Burundi. And what we saw over seven years of treating about 8 million people per year was a dramatic decrease in the prevalence of these diseases. It was so dramatic that it's being studied by the World Health Organization and others who want to see if that, those types of results can be replicated. We think they can. So what we did was set up a new 
company essentially called the End Fund. We partnered with a lot of other people like Bill Gates and, and others to pool our capital. This is all private money from private individuals and families. We put it together and we're, we've gone from two countries to over 30 countries where we're active. Last year alone, we treated over 50 million people. That's a big scale and we're only getting bigger. So we're, we're gonna do even more people this year. And what we would like to see is the eradication of these diseases on planet Earth. That's our aspiration. So we're really proud of the END Fund. You can look it up at www.end.org uh, and read all about it. But that's a legato initiative, and it's something that it's just been a real privilege to be part of. Excellent. And what's one more that is particularly interesting that you have been involved in the last few years? Okay. Well, what we did after the END Fund is we realized the power of what we call private philanthropy. So this is the power of private capital, getting together, pooling resources, and kind of taking down big issues. So another issue that's really important to us is slavery and trafficking. Legatum's heart is to serve the poorest of the poor. And when we try to think about who is the poorest of the poor on this planet, we think of slaves and we think of people that have been trafficked because their very freedom, their freedom over their own body and their freedom over movement has been taken away. And so we're, we're extremely passionate about doing what we can to target this, what we think is just evil, and, and see if we can roll back slavery and trafficking. So we have been active, again, in many, many countries over the years. We've seen laws changed. We've done rescue operations all over the world. But in the last few years, we've pooled our resources, we've brought in partners, and we launched something that we call the Freedom Fund. And the Freedom Fund is one of the world's largest privately funded anti-slavery efforts. And we're just super active. We're supporting about 45 different organizations in India alone. We're active in the media as well, raising awareness about these issues. We do rescue operations where we take women out of brothels, we take children out of child labor and factories, we take entire villages, in fact, out of stone quarries where, where they've been in bondage. So we rescue, we do rehabilitation, then we do repatriation where we send people back to their home country, and then we work with them to help them just kind of recover and reintegrate back into society. So it's a, it's a holistic and full-blown effort, again, something that Legatum is very proud of, and it's something that our team here is very passionate about. Wow, those are big projects. So how did Legatum get into the philanthropy business, or was this just something that arose along the course of its normal business operations? Legatum manages just private capital. So we're a little bit different from many investment funds where we're, we're not actively out there trying to manage other people's capital. We're just managing the capital that belongs to the partners of this firm. And because of that, Legatum is not just a great investment firm, but it's an expression of those partners' values. And so from the very beginning of, of Legatum, there's been a real sense of unity amongst the partners that Legatum exists for more than just generating profits and generating capital. Those are good things. We feel like if we did nothing but just run a great investment firm, that in and of itself would be good and noble and be a service to the world. But as partners, we wanted to do more. And so, you know, we've experimented for years. 
So the end fund and the freedom fund sound fabulous and they really are, but you know, behind the scenes, we've had many failures, many false starts. We've made a lot of mistakes along the way in learning how to allocate capital in the philanthropic space so that it can generate really good results. But yeah, Legatum as an investment company and Legatum as a philanthropic entity can't be separated. It's it's kind of, it would be like separating one person's brain into two. You can't do it. It, it, it's, it resides in one head. So what drew you in particular to work at Legatum? Well, Legatum itself is about 11 years old, 10 years old maybe. But Legatum has a much longer heritage, and it really came out of another investment firm called Sovereign that I joined. And that investment firm really has its roots back in New Zealand, just a, it has its own fabulous story that's really you know three decades old. I joined that company to join the investment team, and you know at the time, to be honest, I thought it was just a job. I had my values, but I needed a job. And I before that, I was a, a corporate lawyer working in cross border, doing cross border M and A and corporate finance work. So I worked in America, I worked in Russia. But I came for the, the professional opportunity. What I found was a group of really incredible people that had a love for investing, but also a love for the world, uh, a love for people. And that really resonated with me as well. So Sovereign then evolved and transformed into Legatum about 10 years ago. And I, I kind of grew from one member of the team to a partner and, and ultimately to uh, having the privilege of being the CEO. But it's a tightly run organization of partners. And so even though I wear that hat or have that title, I feel like we, we move together. We move in unity. And so it's not led by me. It's led by a group of people that share a common vision and share common values. With that little bit of history in mind, uh, let's rewind the clock you know, quite a bit, if that's okay with you. I, and I'd like to go back uh, in your education uh, and your experiences, maybe even all the way back to grade school. What was it that you were thinking and what were your aspirations then that shaped your thinking uh, and influenced where you are today? Wow, back in grade school. Yeah, according to my mother, I loved to read and just read a lot. I was always fairly competitive in athletics. And my mom says that from the time I was a little kid, I would always share everything. It was kind of not super attached to things and would kind of be the kid that would give away his toys and, and other things. But I feel like I was also I had a sense of ambition from the time that I was really young. And, and when I was growing up, kind of the, the ultimate cool thing to be was a like a doctor or I thought it was and a, like a surgeon like a brain surgeon or or something and so when I was a kid I wanted to be a surgeon and that was until I found out that a I'm not good at science and b I'm, I really don't like blood so uh, <laughs> that was out so that was out and but I think just that history of reading I, I knew that I was good at reading and I was fairly good at writing and so as time went on I feel like that those skills or those natural skills plus a healthy amount of ambition, I think, sort of combined once I got to college into feeling like a good direction for me to go was law. And I wasn't super enamored with law in and of itself, but I felt like, you know, understanding law was a, was a valuable skill and I felt like I could learn a craft that I could be good at. And that potentially it would be a springboard into business at some point. And I really felt like 
you know, at some point in my, in my career, in my life, I'd like to be part of a business and I'd like to be in a decision-making capacity. So yeah, I mean, in terms of sort of young life leading into where I am now, that's kind of how I'd characterize getting started. So a couple of things jump out at me there. The first one is you put two words together that we don't normally see put together in terms of high achievement. And one is sharing and the other is ambition. And those two things don't seem to go together, but somehow with you they do. So tell us how those two things are related and how that's changed or shaped your life and your future. Well, I agree. They don't tend to go together. And in fact, in reality, they don't really go together very well. One kind of has to bow to the other. And so it's a much longer story, but to try to make it really short, in my life, those two character traits really kind of pushed up against each other for a long time and, and needed to be resolved. And so, and I felt like that happened to a large degree, really kind of in the middle of my career. So I've always been ambitious. But a lot of that was about me. I've also had that sort of generosity impulse, which is, is about others. And in my 30s, I had a bit of what I would call a, a fairly profound spiritual awakening that started a transition that had, you know, sort of saw ambition transform into something else. And, and I think what happened over time was that the energy that ambition produced was retained but the self-centeredness diminished. And so then what you wound up having is the energy that, uh, of ambition of someone who's entrepreneurial, someone who loves to compete, someone who loves to excel, harnessing the good energy, losing the self-centeredness, and then applying it with generosity to helping others. And I feel like that transition, that, that evolution is definitely not complete. I'm still a work in progress, but I feel like when I'm really, truly excellent at my job today, it's only when it's an authentic reflection of my character. And so to be better and better at my job, I've had to become a better and better person over time. So do you find that that ability to separate the energy that comes with ambition from the self-centeredness has helped you at all in managing people in your day-to-day -day functioning at work? Absolutely. I mean, I think when you awaken to the fact that a life well-lived is really spent on others, it's spent on investing in others, you realize that the greatest joy in life is to see others flourish and others prosper, and that, that starts first with your family, with your spouse, with your children. But then if you're in a leadership role professionally, it's to see the people around you flourish and to invest your time and your talent and your energy in building them up. You know, in the, in the paradox of life, what you find is if you do that well, then you see a lot of success come from that because you can attract amazing people, you can retain amazing people, and they'll do amazing things. And you you get to participate in other people's success around you. So success and a focus on serving people go hand in hand. So have you found that your learning experiences over time continued after school? Or do you find that there were maybe bigger learning opportunities outside of the four walls as you progressed? Honestly, I feel like life is a journey of learning. And that's not just a cliche, that's just extremely true. And if, 
you know, I was reading a biography of Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway, one of the most famous and one of the most successful investment firms of all time. Charlie Munger is in his 90s. He's still learning. He, he's still a voracious reader and an avid sort of student of life and business. I aspire to be like that. I, I feel like we never stop learning. And if we do stop learning, we're dead. And so, yeah, I mean, school is, feels like the bottom rung on the ladder. You know, if you're going to continue climbing, you have to continue to learn. So you invoked a name that I was wondering if you might, because I'm curious, since you're a private investing firm at Legatum and Berkshire Hathaway is also sort of a private fund, have you guys watched them and watched other people to do similar things? Like, is this a different world, say, than the Wall Street world when you think about investing? Again, like as learners, we're constantly trying to hone our own craft. And so we try to learn from other people. And so absolutely, we have investors who are alive today and, and some who aren't, who we really like and who we want to learn from and pattern ourselves after. Buffett is, is incredible. And the partnership that he has with Munger and the success that they've had kind of speaks for itself. And so we certainly learn from them. But I think that one of the key takeaways from the whole Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway thing is that they are driven by values. They've got a, a way that they view the world through a lens of values and an understanding of human nature that I feel like has absolutely been key to their success. So we try to do the same in that regard. Absolutely. That actually makes me curious. So could you point back to a time in your life when that realization that, that values were kind of a deep part of success? You know, in observing people, as you get older, your definition of success changes. But certainly when you're young, if your definition of success is just financial success, then certainly you can find people who are success are quote unquote successful because they've earned a lot of money or made a lot of money. But I think even as a young person, you can look at some of those people and ask yourself, do I really want to be like that person? Do I really want my life to look like that? And, and the older that you get, you realize that many wealthy people or financially successful people have empty and hollow lives that you would never want for yourself or for your loved ones. And so then you, you begin to see the world in a, in a broader way and realize that success it's just much bigger than that. And some of the people that I think are most successful in the world are, are not wealthy and didn't make much money at all. I mean, I think everybody would say Mother Teresa was a wild success story, but it had nothing to do with financial return. And so absolutely, you know, I think over the course of life, you see that values and success seem to be tied together, at least as far as what I define as success. So I guess I'd like you to maybe pull back the curtain a little bit in two ways. The first one is, what are some of the values that you think, or maybe some of the definitions of success that you think are particularly important? And how do you come to that place? Well, I mean, because Legatum is a private firm, Legatum's values are, are my values. And so the way that we articulate our core values are, number one, elegance and excellence, so we want to be absolutely world-class in what we do. We want to be the best in as much as we can, the best investment firm. We want to make the best decisions, but we want to do it in an elegant way. And what that means to us is it's not enough just to generate good financial returns. We want to do it in the right way. It's not enough just to write a good memo or to 
to write a good research paper or to do a good analysis. We want it to be presented in an elegant way. So true excellence and elegance in everything that you do. And the second core value is what we call servant leadership. And to us, the world really thrives on service, service and servant leadership. And so to us, you know, the greatest businesses are those that have created a product or a service that delivers value to people. And the best hotels in the world are the hotels that have figured out how to create the most hospitable, best experience. The best internet companies are those that deliver a fabulous customer experience or user experience. And what the common denominator in all of those is service. If you can figure out how to serve people, you can figure out how to, quote unquote, be successful. If you solve big problems, you make big money. If you solve small problems, you make less money. But the key is solving other people's problems is just serving them. So we love business because it's just a vehicle for serving humanity if, if it's done right, if it's done in the, the right way and with that kind of posture. And our last core value, Steve, is what we call Sanuk. And Sanuk is actually a word from the Thai language that means fun or joy. And we feel like no matter what you do, and frankly, no matter how it's going day by day, that if you can maintain sort of an attitude of joy, an attitude of fun, an attitude of lightheartedness, take your business seriously, take your profession seriously. But if you can maintain perspective and, and lightheartedness and fun, then you can make it through anything. So those are our core values. Your second part of your question was, how do you get there? I don't know. I think it's just being authentically who you are, because if you try to behave or act in a way that's not authentically who you are, you know, I think it'll, it's, it's kind of a recipe for failure. So, you know, Mahatma Gandhi had a great phrase, which is, he said, be the change you seek. In other words, if you want to see the world around you change, then model that, then be that yourself. And you'll see, you know, if you can authentically be that yourself, you'll see your circumstances change around you. As a dad, I can imagine that you want to see your boys grow up to embody those values. And that brings up in my mind our last two questions because we're getting close to the uh, end of our interview here. So maybe cast this in the perspective of uh, looking at how you know, you're uh, thinking about your own family, your own sons. But in this age, in the digital age, we have many, many resources. I mean, there's websites galore. You can look up anything on Wikipedia or YouTube and learn how to do things, you know, by watching a video. In this digital age, looking at all of those tools and thinking about your sons, what does it mean to be, quote, educated? What does educated mean in that environment? Well, that's a great question, Steve. I mean, and it's a really interesting question for my family in particular. So both of my sons are homeschooled. So they both attend the George Washington University online high school, and it's a rigorous, hardcore program. They're taking AP classes. Academically, they're doing very well. But a few years ago, we took some of our family vacation time, and instead of going skiing, we went, we went to Tanzania. And we went to Tanzania to visit a, a medical clinic that, that as a family we've supported, and basically hung out for a week with kids who are burn victims and kids who have some serious orthopedic problems and who are just being cared for in a really poor part of the world. And to me, 
that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of education. It's developing a, a broader perspective on reality, you know, outside of your own home and outside of your own comfort zone. And then taking that new perspective and asking, you know, what can I do to make a difference in this world? So in terms of education, I feel like having a basic, basic education and, and, and equipping yourself to actually make a difference and qualifying yourself to make a difference in the world is really, really important. But at some point, the real education starts when you put head knowledge into action. And to do that well, you have to get out there in the world and mix it up and have different experiences. So I think that's how, as a family, we've approached education. So that last question dovetails into our final question, which is, with that perspective, uh, what is the purpose of an education? Well, I think it's, if you go back to one of our core values here of servant leadership, I think the purpose of an education is truly to invest in yourself so that you can qualify yourself to invest in and to help others. And so an education is a great way of getting qualified with skills and talents to help other people. And yet, you know, in this digital age, like you said, some of the greatest innovations and greatest companies, and not just in this digital age, but just in history, have been built by people without a quote-unquote formal education. You know, people that never went to college or never graduated from college, including sort of everyone from Bill Gates to Fuqua, who built the Duke School of Business, to uh, Mark Zuckerberg, to others. So Michael Dell. You know, incredible people that built incredible companies. But for most of us, an education is a great way to build a foundation that you can then use to be a great starting place for this adventure of life and service to others. Excellent. Well, I think we're going to wrap it right there. Thank you so much for taking time to share your wisdom with our audience. And if we have, you know, someone from our listener audience has further questions, what's the best way for them to learn more about you and what you do there at Legatum? I think the best way is just to look at Legatum's website. It, it, there is just an absolute treasure trove of information there. That's legatum.com. And through there, you can look at all of our philanthropic endeavors in fund our public policy think tank in London, the Legatum Institute, the Freedom Fund, and, and many other things that we do. And my bio and, and how to contact me is on there as well. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mark. We very much appreciate this today. Thank you, Steve. Wow. That was an amazing interview. If today's podcast sparked thoughts about improving your own life, take a moment to write down the lessons you learned and put them where you'll see them regularly. Change requires consistent feedback. And if you would like your own teens to pursue great impact but feel like they need another strong voice to share those lessons and call them higher, you need to know about the Resonance Innovation Fellowship. This next year, we'll be taking a select group of 15 teens on a journey of self-discovery, excellence with integrity, and innovation leadership. This is not a club, social gathering, or homework tutoring. The students in the Resonance Innovation Fellowship will be studying the path to impact and world change through the backdrop of technology. We will be calling teens to deep impact on the scale that Mark discussed in our interview. To find out more, email me at stevecurdy at ttinvent.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-K-U-R-T-I at T-T-I-N-V-E-N-T.com. Don't wonder about the future email us 
and we'll help you create it.